Teach is produced on the traditional land of the Kaurna people. The South Australian Department for Education would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to all elders, past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to Teach, a podcast about teaching and learning in South Australia. My name is Dale Atkinson from South Australia's Department for Education. And today we are talking about the department's new practice guidance resources for supporting all learners, and in particular those learners with additional needs. The practice guidance has been developed by educators for educators, and those educators who develop those resources are with us today in the form of Jen Mathwin-Raymond, the Manager of Practice Guidance, and Ronnie McFarlane, the Director of Inclusive Teaching and Learning. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So first of all, I guess the main question is, what are the practice guides and what are they for? They're actually uh, very practical, basic learning strategies that anyone, no matter whether they're an early career teacher or a later career teacher, can pick up and learn something from. They're written by teachers for teachers and they are the sorts of things that might have been put into place today or they can certainly be put into place tomorrow. So that is the focus, is something that is achievable, it is not reliant upon funding, it is something that anyone can pick up and do tomorrow. In my hot little hand, I have a white binder that says practice guidance for learners with additional needs. And in front of me on my laptop on Eddie, I have the page for practice guidance. Can you tell us how these two things work together and uh, what teachers should do to get their hands on the resources where they need to get their resources? I think one of the challenges that we face is that teachers are really busy and the fact that we've produced practice guidance in two formats means that when a teacher needs a really quick response to something and to try something, they can go to a fact sheet. But when they want to do that deeper dive and really develop a, an understanding of what's behind potentially a child's need, they can go online and look at Eddie and explore sort of deeper, click onto links that will take them to more information if you know they're seeking it in their own time. I think the readiness of having the practice guides in the hands of teachers via the fact sheets in schools and then the longer version online allows for them to engage at different levels at different times. That's around language as well. Yeah, and it's really beautifully compiled on Eddie. It's um, it's all together in a really easy to navigate, easy to find space. I and mean, I think educators out there are going to find this to be an incredibly useful and, and easy resource to use. So where did the initiative for the practice guides come from? What was the background of that? Yeah, well, I'd love to take credit for this, but I've only been in the role for three months. It's sort of multifaceted. Our previous executive director, Carolyn Crazabalo, did have a conversation with an old friend who happened to be a teacher and, and she was expressing at the time the frustration that she had with not being able to meet the needs of a young person that she was struggling with in her own classroom and just wish she had something in hand to be able to rely on to inform her of some approaches she could do in the classroom. And then I guess emerging out of that was a piece of research that the department requested that really highlighted ways that we could be working to be have greater inclusive practices. And one of those key elements was practice guidance. Like how do we make sure we get really evidence-informed approaches in the hands of teachers in classroom and that being one lever for a really important practice. When we look at um, schools and the profile of students in schools, one of the things that teachers are always trying to do is meet that individual student at that point of need. But the difficulty can be very diverse environment with lots of complex and competing demands on your time as a teacher and as an educator is understanding who that student is, but also what the specific plugins that might help them. So what are the role that these have in, in helping 
bridge that gap that you might have as an educator. One of the things that each of the guides will outline from the word go is that every child's an individual. Many of them come with a specific learning need, but others will come with a complex range of learning needs that are all interrelated. And so it's important to look at the guides and say maybe match the two guides or three guides together and then think to yourself, okay, so knowing my learner as well as I do, how can I actually cherry pick the bits that will work the best for this particular child and try and see. And if it doesn't quite work, then go back and try some others because the practical nature of the way in which we've laid them out and the fact that they're written by teachers for teachers, then there is always something else that you can give a go and something that will meet with success. Maybe a little bit of success initially, but then we build onto that. This is something that's really going to, I think, come alive if you're using this in a in a team sense with mm. the rest of your colleagues, isn't it? That you can bring these down off the shelf and have a real kind of granular discussion about how you can help individual children. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that we've been talking about with the team is really how do we know that this is actually having an impact? And one of our measures is actually how teachers are talking to each other about the strategies and how they're implementing them. So that I know that, you know, my colleague in the next room has tried some strategies from one of the practice guides. They can talk to me about how they work. And then I might be able to say, okay, well, if you've used that approach, I might be, you know, willing to test that as well. And then we can compare and say, well, if this works for me, but it didn't work for you, you know, maybe we could tweak it or maybe we could try another strategy. I think that collegiality and a shared experience of having the same evidence-based research in front of us with strategies that we can both apply, but again, individual students, so they can work in some contexts and not in others. Now, I know you've been engaging a lot with teachers, leaders out in the field. What sort of influence have they had over the development of the guides? Well, they were quite pivotal, of course. One of the things, um, you know, people will often say to me is, how did you choose the topics for the first 16? And we've got another uh, range of them on the go. Basically, we asked. We asked pretty much everybody. So we asked um, teachers when we met them out in the field, but we also put together very early in the piece a practice guidance board, quite high-level people, but we also put together a reference group of teachers, leaders, um, practitioners, people from support services, and we said, what do you think is needed at the moment? And then we sort of prioritised. And one of the priorities that you will see as soon as you pick up the guides is there's quite a significant number of topics that are around uh, the provision for autism. And that worked out quite well because it is quite topical at the moment. We do have a number of children. For all intents and purposes, we're trying to meet their needs, but they're quite complex. And so... I certainly have had great deal of feedback from people saying that that was really helpful and they certainly have been applying them. What's something that you guys have, have really enjoyed about this process of developing these guides? From my perspective, I just love when we can create a product that's really valued and needed. And if you can deliver something that is going to help teachers in their core work, that's ultimately the win, right? I was recently in a, a forum where I had the privilege of hearing a young man speak about a year 10 boy who's autistic and he was talking about his experience as a young person and, and a mixed experience about his learning environment. And he talked about a teacher who tried and then tried something else and then tried something else again until he found something that worked. And what was the most valuable thing that this young person described was not the fact that they had success in their learning, but actually that their teacher believed in their success and that they kept trying. So for them, they felt that they were valued. And I think we all want to be valued. And how we can express that in the classroom is by trying and not, and not giving up, but keep persisting and finding ways to reach the young people in our classrooms. 
every child deserves to feel a sense of belonging, mm. that this is their place and that they have a right to be there and they're respected and valued. And if we can do anything to support that, then I reckon we're on a winner. Yeah, I think these are incredibly powerful tools in terms of helping that to happen. Now, you mentioned that these are just the first suite, that the plans are already underway to broaden the offer. What if teachers are out there and they're looking at these and thinking, well, that's great, but I've got students who need X. How do they get in touch with you and, and what should they be telling you? It's at the bottom of every practice guide. You click on there and, and let us know. Just send us an email and say, look, I, I've liked this bit about it or maybe you could expand on that bit, but also could you then start talking and developing something on whatever. So you guys are the real face, the real people behind the um, <laughs> behind the email address. That's great. We will include a link in the show notes to where it lives on Eddie, so people will be able to access that who are listening to the podcast. But it's a brilliant resource, both in hard copy and on the web. So well done. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And we're also joined by Andrew Gravestocks, who's the principal at Sejuna Area School. Andrew, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. Now, Andrew, you've been involved in developing some of these resources. Can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like? I was really pleased to be asked to be part of that working party to look at the practice guidance for learners with additional needs because I think sometimes we haven't done that as an education department. We've constructed those types of guides without a very wide variety of people to consult with in different circumstances. So having people from remote country schools, cities, schools but different educators with different experiences and support services and looking for what is best practice outside of our system has been something that has been really unique for me to be part of and I think it's it's really added to the depth and the value for schools. And I think the other part for me too is that it's really been up from from the beginning that this is the, the first iteration of the guides and that they will evolve and change as more information on that becomes so that ultimately staff know they can go to this this resource and it will be the current up-to-date best practice information that the Education Department has. Can you tell us a little bit about your school? Yeah, so Sejuna Area School is in the, the far west of South Australia. We're about nine hours from Adelaide pretty diverse um, student population and community. Lots of different people move in and out of the the space given how west we are. High Aboriginal population and a reasonably high population of students with disabilities. We tend to have kids who can't access special schools and stuff nearby as well. We've got the two special classes on our site but probably the level of disability within them is above what you would normally find in a special class. That presents some reasonably uh, universal challenges across the public education system, which is what do you do as a teacher in terms of meeting each of those students at their individual point of need? And I guess the question that you guys are trying to answer with the practice guidance is how do we service these kids? We've put a lot of effort into working with our support services group who are based in Port Lincoln, but we've got that four hours of distance between us and them. So we're really seeing the practice guides as being a really key component of what teachers can look at in the first instance, talk about, but then it can be that reference point for support services, teachers, leaders, students, parents on this is what the best practice is saying for your your child and then we're we're trying those things and then we can keep working on it from there so you know through the use of technology we can be actually working on what the best way to support a child in their education is with 
the guides as well on a more regular basis and, you know, hopefully more timely and, and a better service for all. Uh, particularly, you know, it's a junior area school, but a lot of schools are dealing with an enormous breadth of issues among their students. And it can be difficult as a teacher to understand the, the nuances of various different um, challenges that students may have. So something that provides a bit of clear guidance around the specifics of need is incredibly useful, isn't it? It certainly is. And I, and I think the other part that is really helpful for that too is that it's it's online so staff can access it anywhere, anytime, even if they've got a you know, an inkling that this might be something they're thinking in their professional judgment a student needs to support them. They can go and have a look and they're almost, you know, we're going to be in a better place to be able to, to work with other agencies and families and the student themselves ultimately to to support them because teachers have got that quick go-to they can go to and they're not too long, they're not too complicated and it's got where to go to from there for supporting other supports as well. Is it also useful in terms of teachers and leadership engaging with parents of, of children with these needs? I believe so, you know, having not done it yet, but I think we can put that on the on the table and say, here's what the practice guides are saying. What do you think and feel as a parent? Would this support your child in their learning? And that will be, a re- as I said, a really good focal point and a reference that we can use with families and staff so we can all be on the same page and hopefully working together um, as best we can. And what does it look like from the point of view of a leadership team or teaching teams? Are these the sorts of things that you will get together as a group? And this is a nice thing about talking to you while you're actually physically out in a school because the, the bell just went off in the background there, which is lovely. Yes, it did. Yes. Um, <laughs> end of luck. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but w- what does it look like in terms of, um, you know, groups of teachers or a leadership and, and teaching group? How are these useful and how, are they, how will they be used, do you think? I mean, we're very much at the infancy of that process but we were going to begin tonight, even at our staff meeting, looking at the positive behaviour for learning classroom practices and can we get teachers to have consistency, coherence and clarity around that practice for kids in our classrooms. And so this, this document does give us that opportunity to have that conversation. Well, thank you very much for your time, Andrew, and uh, good luck making use of the practice guidance. No worries. Thanks, Dale.